Doug England is a retired Chief Warrant Officer with the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment. He joins Charlie and Katie to share stories from his time with the unit, including the mission that got Osama bin Laden. All in this episode of Clarksville's Conversation. So I'm here with my friend Charlie, and he's going he's gonna to introduce our guest today. Well, well, Katie, we've got a friend of mine, CW5 Doug England. And uh, man, he's got quite a story. But and before we get too deep into that, first, Doug, I want to say welcome, and it's great to see you. Well, I appreciate it. This is Pleasure this is an you. honor to be on your show. And and what I want to know first, and you know, you're in the 160th, and we'll get to all that. But I want to know how you got to Clarksville, why you're here. You know, tell us about your family. Give us some background. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So uh, the uh, Chief Warrant Officer 5 is the highest Warrant Officer rank in the Army, and there's only 580 in active duty Army. Uh, There's there's about 1,200 total out of the 1.1 million person Army. That's it. So it's actually harder to make CW5 than it is a general officer, just by the numbers. And so I I retired... uh, February 29th of this year. So just over a month, month and a half ago, I retired. So, so does, it count? Retired. does it count since you retired on leap day? <laughs> it does. So I got full credit for every day of the year. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which was my grandmother's birthday, by the way. It was oh, very that's wonderful. And I uh, wasn't even planning on it. So 33 years in the Army, and I joined uh, right after high school. So I didn't, I didn't continue my upper-level education until I was in the service. And... My wife uh, of 32 years this year, we were high school sweethearts. We went to the same high school in uh, the mountains in the southwest portion of uh, in Colorado, uh, southwest portion of Denver. That's where we ended up. My family, my dad was Air Force, NASA. Uh, he was very, he was in the missile in space. The, 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 what is it, the lunar uh, project, the mm-hmm. Mars Viking lander project. He was the director of that and the Star Wars defense program. And so we moved all over the place, but we ended up for my high school years ended up in uh, in Southwest Denver, so that's why I ended up graduating there. So moved around and seen so many places from uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida, to missile launches. My dad would take us to the beach and see the missile uh, the rocket launches at night, and um, it was just it was just that that technical that very mm-hmm. side of the house. My dad or my granddad was a World War II vet on a uh, USS Smith destroyer that was Japanese zeroed, lost 68 of his shipmates. Wow. So that heritage of military and service was just just in the background. Uh, my father, you know, he's now really he did say, listen, your brother's the one that gets the good grades in school. And you <laughs> need to go off. And he graduated from University of Colorado. And he's now one of the senior vice presidents for Nissan and oh, no. very, very <laughs> successful. He, he lives in uh, Colorado. But uh, so it's just my brother and I met my wife uh, before I joined the military. And so we dated off and on and then we're engaged uh, after I joined the military. And then we we're married a few years after I, I was in the military. So we've known each other ever since. So she's she's been with me the whole journey. So did you retire here in Clarksville? I did. I had a I had a choice. I could have retired anywhere. Now, we moved here in 1998. So I had. 
I joined okay. as I enlisted as a private, private PV, nothing, you know, no stripes yeah. on the, uh, I was getting a, I think it was a $480 a month paycheck is what I was getting paid in the army back in 1986, 1987. Uh, really wasn't anything, but I did pay my hundred dollars a month for that Montgomery GI bill to make sure I had my education benefits. There you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which was and, smart. Uh, and, it, and it pays off. Um, mm -hmm. So I was working on helicopters, uh, fixing them, got my FAA mechanics license and AMP, did that, and then went through and got my college and then went to flight school. But uh, stationed in Germany, uh, stationed at Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, stationed uh, at the Colorado National Guard in the mountains of Colorado. My wife has been with the whole time. Uh, had our first child in Germany uh, when, I was, uh, when, I was, when we were young. We were 21 years old. And he's now 30 and um, had our daughter in Colorado. So our second, we have four children. Went back to Germany a second time and now as a pilot, as an aviator. Had our third child, a daughter. So our oldest is a boy and then three daughters. That's, you can't see it. I keep it cut pretty short, but these great guys <laughs> are for my daughters. <laughs> uh, they'll do that. And, um, and then we just had our, our fourth child in uh, 2000, but we moved here because I assessed for the 160th in 1998. And we have been here and lived in this area on Fort Campbell in Clarksville for the last 22 years. Uh, um, this may have be 22 years. And so this is home to us. This is the longest we have ever lived in our child or adult uh, adulthood anywhere. So this is home. This <laughs> but, uh, but my last job in the Army was the Senior Warrant Officer Advisor for Talent Management, working directly for the Secretary of the Army. And so every warrant officer in the military or in the Army uh, was under my purview for monetization and make sure that uh, legislation and policy and all this stuff was, was set. So that was my last job, and I could have retired out of the Pentagon, even though we still lived here. And I asked the 160th, can I retire out of my home, which is the 160th, and we retired in the hangar. So it was mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. Kelly Pickler came and sang the uh, National Anthem. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, uh, wonderful. Katie, let me tell you, I, I was talking to Doug the other day and just kind of talking about who we know and friends. And, and uh, one of my good friends that I play golf with and have been on some golf trips was one of the guys that trained Doug as a pilot when he got to the 160th. And who knew? Small world. It's a small no world. Idea. Small world. And and we're not going to. I know we're being recorded, but let's not tell him he taught me everything I know. Let's not. Okay. <laughs> I won't. I won't tell him. I won't tell him because <laughs> he's going to think it. <laughs> yeah. So so you know you you join you join the army as a private. You just come in there. You work your way up to be a pilot. But then there's a process of getting into the one sixtieth, right? So you don't just all of a sudden get in there you have to train and qualify what was that like well to so that that fork in the road in a career i was actually accepted into the coast guard so i was a chief warrant officer too i'd been flying for about five years and the coast guard was notorious for taking qualified aviators from the army giving them a five-year contract and then releasing them which would have put me at 17, 18 years mm. in the Coast Guard, and I would not have been eligible to retire. Yeah. But I was going to do it anyways. I was going to be an ensign and be commissioned in the uh, Coast Guard. Very exciting. Uh, 
if, if, if you don't know what the Coast Guard does, please you know, Google them sometimes. They're, they're responding to emergencies off the coast of our nation daily. It, it's amazing what heroic events they go through. Well, I had a, had a commander who was, was my mentor and, and inspired me to go to the 160th. We had to fill out a packet. You have to go through background checks. You have to go through a psychological test. It's a confirmation to make sure you have no criminal offenses, uh, no marital issues, no financial issues. I mean, it's everything that you see on a confirmation board uh, as a Senate hearing confirmation. It is that on steroids because they you have a physical fitness test, you have a swim test, agility, mental. You have to go through a flight assessment. You have to go through an actual formal interview, a board. And it is extremely stressful. Um, you feel about that big. And when you're accepted, you feel like the world is yours. And it's a week-long process. And I won't go into too much detail, but yeah, yeah. It, it's a volunteer force within a volunteer army. So you can imagine that everybody in the unit wants to be at work. And mm-hmm. everybody wants to be a team player and wants to be there for the right reasons. So that environment is is really hard to to step out of. That's why I stayed with them for 22 years before I retired. That's uh, uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting because we Katie and I have been been blessed with um, a lot of friends at Fort Campbell, but we've we've also been able to spend time out there and visit 160th compound sometimes, and you know get the outer vision of it you know nothing really really in depth but it's really cool to see what what the training you guys go through oh yeah and uh one we thank you we thank you for doing that mm-hmm. well i i appreciate thank you and i will take a hundred percent of that and shift it to the ones that are in the unit now because yeah. they are deployed right now uh they're unable to return home to rotate so i mean there's there's some things that um, the department of defense is keeping readiness at its at its the, the highest uh, standard and the highest uh, priority because this is the time we don't want to become vulnerable. So that that's why DOD's readiness model has to be the utmost importance. So even though 160th is is a unit under Special Operations Command out of uh, Tampa, Florida, and then the Army Special Ops Command, which is out of Fort Bragg, even though we're funded, you know, we're resourced, we're trained, equipped. Uh, personnel, everything under SOCOM, we reside on Fort Campbell. So all of our installation guidance and orders come from the 101st Division Commander, the post mm-hmm. commander. So that's the, he's doing a phenomenal job. It's 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 tough. Think of that that two star has the authority of a mayor, but he also has the authority of the well being from a judicial standpoint. It's everything. Mm-hmm. Those commanders have more authority than you could think of any municipal leader out there. So Colonel Whiskey, he's doing a great job. And right now, yeah, he is doing a great job. And right now are tough times, kind of unprecedented times. There are times when our leadership is having to make decisions that historically other leadership haven't had to make because i mean we're, when we're dealing with this pandemic uh it's just a lot of uncertainty and a new new path for everybody right now so you know you might fight expand on that it's sure. so we, call it, we call it baptism by fire yeah we know that um we train for combat and my current job and i'll, I'll get into that but i'm a defense contractor so now now i'm an instructor pilot for the 160th i'll go more into that here in a second but you don't know how people are going to react 
you've trained and you've prepared and you've done everything to, to assess how this individual is. We vote our officials into offices thinking that they have this capability. But when the rubber meets the road and a crisis like this happens, you really see the true colors mm-hmm. of those true leaders that are out there. And I will, I will tell you, when you see both mayors yeah. up there in unison, and, and you know, not everybody can get along, but they know what's important. And you know that, I know they get along, but they, um, but you can see where they're working together as leaders. And that's what we have voted them into office. So, I mean, it, I, I'm impressed because this, is, this isn't any rule book right yeah. it's true leadership with a servant heart they're there to serve others not to you know be in the spotlight so they're doing i think all of our leadership from fort campbell to city to county i think that they're doing an amazing job during this crisis right now that's that's right and and the thing is you have 100 percent of the population that they're responsible for even though not 100 percent are going to follow the rules or or take care of themselves mm-hmm. that's exactly right that's hard mm-hmm. that's really- well, you you mentioned something a minute ago about guys in 160th being on deployment, and over over your career, you've had 33 years in the army. How much time did you spend on deployment? On a deployment, just from September 11th, uh, it was almost seven years. So it was it was 34 deployments. Some deployments would be three months, some would be four. Uh, one of them, in particular, was only six days. And that was May 1st, 2011. And we can expand on that one a little bit more. Yeah, but, let's, uh, let's talk about that one. Let's talk about May 1st, 2011. <laughs> well, that was a, a turning point in U.S. history. And um, we uh, we killed the number one terrorist uh, for modern civilization in history. Uh, the last time that uh, we were after a manhunt after somebody of that magnitude was Adolf Hitler. Uh, to stop the, the 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 World War II, so that that was uh, that was our team. That was us. That I was chosen and selected to be in charge of the flight operations. Uh, so months of planning and preparation and rehearsals to actually go through and and when we were called to do it from the president, briefed the president several times on this in, at the White House. And it was just, it was just, you still get goosebumps today when we got the word to do it. First, we got the word to, to move forward in the country, to be prepared. And then we finally got the green light. And, you know, sometimes you don't ever think you'd get that green light, but we did. We, we prepared and planned well enough. So when you guys started preparing and planning for this deployment, did you know at the time that you were going after Osama bin Laden? Or did you just think you were going after, you knew it was someone important? I knew. I knew exactly. And we, we didn't bring the air crew and and the SEALs, the ground force, until about two and a half weeks before we actually, uh, before actual May 1st. Because... So but many that was times. Like a holy cow moment. We're going after Osama bin Laden. Yeah, that's a big deal. Well, so I, I'm, I'm not, a, I don't wear my feelings on my, my sleeves much. <laughs> so when the gentleman, a very good friend who's retired now, told me and just really pumped up the story, you know, because I've gone after bin Laden three times prior to that. And it's really starting to make us pretty mad because we can't find him or mm-hmm. we find him, but he escapes us narrowly every time. Mm-hmm. So he pumps it up, and then finally he looks at me and he goes, he goes all this, and he goes, you know who we're going after? And he goes, we're going after Bin Laden. And the look on my face was like, 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I took the, the air out of his balloon quickly. I mean, he's like, no, seriously. And then um, it, it finally did set in and the importance and the value and, and the amount of, of, you know, responsibility that was on our shoulders. Not so much that if we weren't, if he wasn't there, but if we were going to do it and screw up the mission and it would be a national embarrassment because we were going into a sovereign nation. I think that that date and killing bin Laden will go down in history books. So how does it feel to know that you got to be part of something that will always be a part of history? I mean, that's pretty, that has to feel good. Well, I, I, I feel honored. So, you know, and it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't me that, that flew the helicopter in, jumped out with a weapon, ran inside, killed him, and then jumped back in my helicopter and flew home. You know, it's, it absolutely is not. You know, I had a portion of, of mm-hmm. the success. Um, if it wasn't for those maintainers, that makes the equipment that we had on the aircraft, the equipment is what saved our lives. Um, because we were we were attacked on the way back electronically, and we could have been shot down. If it wasn't for that maintainer to make sure that that piece of equipment was top notch to protect us, we may not have made it. If if those seals would not have been as proficient coming around the corners and taking their shots, vulner you know, vulnerize themselves to make it to where they would get shot. Now we have injured. Now we have families that we're going to have to tell that we lost one of their loved ones. Mm-hmm. So it's in the pilots and the door gunners and just the, I tell you, the, the massive restraint. I, I do want to point this out. When we were on the ground and I was picking up the seals and they had handfuls of stuff out of the compound and the, the air crew of the crashed uh, helicopter were jumping on, on the back of my aircraft um, our aircraft, it, there was no other American on the ground except for in our helicopter, which puts us very vulnerable. Oh, yeah. Our door guns are used to scanning for enemy. And the police, the and non or bystanders, non-combatants are walking forward. You can imagine the amount of restraint that they had because they have a minigun that shoots thousands of rounds of of ammo a minute it's just the idea that they had the maturity and they had because you can imagine the incident that would have taken a place if they would have not had that restraint so it's even though i had i I was more the orchestrator of the operation from the airpiece but it was down to the individuals and it falls back that 160th we make sure that we have the right person for the job all the time, everywhere in the world. And that's part of the assessment process. It's, it is the people, it's always about the people. Now I'm gonna ask a question that's probably to you gonna sound really stupid, but I really don't know the answer to this. So that they go in, they kill Osama bin Laden. Who is it that goes in and says, yes, that was Osama bin Laden? I mean, how does that verify that that was him that was actually killed? Well, visually, um, that that's a big one. And if you look at the height, in fact, uh, there's a book called Sea Stories, and okay. Admiral Bill McRaven talks about it. It's in chapter, I think, 23. So it's his last chapter. And just how um, the ground force commander, not, uh, not Admiral McRaven retired, but the ground force commander who was in charge of the SEALs on the ground, had one of his SEALs lay down next to bin Laden 
Oh wow! At, at one point, because Bin Laden is six three, six four. He's very tall, which is unusual for for Arabs. And so that was a key characteristic. Plus, he had DNA. Plus, he had family. Okay. And all. I didn't think about DNA. That makes sense. Yeah, DNA is is the catch all. But mm-hmm. visually, you could tell. Plus, everything else and everything that we recovered, you could tell it was him. I was just curious. Because I'm sure there was a lot of energy around that night. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, it, it, everybody collapsed at the very end, and uh, so it was. It, it was, you know, with um, the to, to bring in the emotion to that that night or the night prior was prom, and my daughter, who's 26 now, uh, she was what 16 at the time, and. It was 16 years old. The dress doesn't fit. Dad's gone again. Yeah. So you can imagine the emotions that were flying that night. And not but three days prior to that, I kissed my wife on the cheek and say, I'll be back in a little bit. Stay home this weekend. Don't go anywhere, please. And I've never told her that before. But she she knew that I have been gone and I have been in unusual places planning. So the amount of stress I put on my wife and my 16-year-old daughter was just immense. What they go through on this end, and then they see the news report. Yeah. And it was just such an emotional uh, kickstart on purpose. And my wife was like, okay. Uh, that's she, We had you know, all four kids. You know, She got everybody together. Her son was in Murray State. Uh, I believe he was a, a friend or a sophomore at the time. Every screaming on the phone, was that dad? Was that dad? And so my wife, Tina, is just keeping things together. And um, two hours after we returned back and exhumed the body, I got to help exhume Bin Laden's body. And once we're finished with that, I got to Clarence to, uh, after the president's already made an announcement, to call my wife real quick. And all I said is I'm okay because the reports of a crashed helicopter. Mm-hmm. All I said was okay. She said... I love you. And that's all we had to say. She knew that things were fine, but it's almost like that movie scene that you see um, where we're in two different parts of the world, but things are going to be okay. And I don't know when I'll see you again, but it's going to be a couple days. Because all they know is daddy husband's going to work. They don't know what daddy's going to do till they see it on the news. That's right. And even at then, uh, we had to go back to work. So even though we came back and high-fived and did our after-action reviews, not but uh, a month or two later, I was back in Afghanistan getting shot at, and and there was a, it's mm-hmm. it's in that article, you're right back into the fight again. Yeah. So it's it's good because there were some seals that couldn't come down off the the stardom. Um, I myself found myself that way, thinking that I can't ever top that. What yeah, can I yeah. do now to ever top that? And then literally uh, three months later, I'm in Afghanistan and we're saving lives and we're doing missions and realizing, okay, the big picture is now your profession. That's what you do. That's that's what it seems like. Every mission is just as important as the other. And they all are very tactical. So you have to stay focused every time. It can't be about the big prize all the time. Charlie, you, you are right on because... You could lose life at any one of those, what you think are simple missions. Uh, the Bin Laden raid from a threat on the objective, the threat wasn't necessarily there because we had the element of time and surprise. In Afghanistan, 
from minute one hitting an objective, whether you're a ground force or your helicopter crew going in, that second that your noise is heard on an objective is dangerous. Not like the Bin Laden raid. The Bin Laden raid was everything inside the building for the SEALs and then in route going in and coming out from um, the Bin Laden raid. So much different dynamics from a threat perspective. Well, you've had a you've had a great career. I mean, that's a, that's an awesome story. But you've also been recognized with some awards. A uh, little thing called the Silver Star. Maybe <laughs> you may have heard of that. And and also, I believe it's supposed to be in April, which this whole April has been kind of crazy. But the uh, Army Aviation Hall of Fame. So tell oh, us a little. Oh, that's awesome, Doug. It is, and we had the. We, had, we made a video to cover my career, which then led to friends of mine and coworkers and colleagues to sit by me. What it is, it's the, uh, yes, uh, and, and I'm very humble to say that because now I'm amongst the Chuck Yeagers of Army Aviation. Um, it's, just, it's just hard to believe that, that I'm part of that. But at Fort Rucker, uh, Alabama, that is the home of Army Aviation. That's where flight school is at. And that's where the museum is at. And in the hallway, they have the inductees of the Aviation Hall of Fame, all the way back to Medal of Honor, like Sandoval. I mean, there are Medal of Honor recipients that are on the walls, and I have the honor for my career to be recognized to be on the same wall as them. And that was supposed to be in April. They're either going to delay it or just roll it till next year. Yeah. But you, you will get an invite. And I want an invite a, too, even though we're new friends. It's <laughs> a black and tie event, and so it's informal, and uh-huh. it's a it's a great spread, and then it's a formal presentation of the uh, the awardees. It's a great event. It's in Nashville, right there at the Opryland Hotel. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That's quite an honor, and I feel honored just to like be able to hear all this story and get well, to know you. Well, there's um, you know, I've been asked to write a book and contemplating it, but. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be about me, but I would love to use my experiences to motivate those to get into the same profession as more of a recruiting tool. Absolutely. Well, well the, the motivation there is you really don't know the thousands, the millions of lives that you saved by those actions. I mean, it, you changed the course of history. It, it did. And to what extent, you know, we'll never know. But we just right. have to have faith in knowing that, you know, we were soldiers for a cause. Mm-hmm. And our way of life and our ideologies were under attack and they'd still be under attack if he was still walking yeah. the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. So it absolutely is. It's it's very rewarding. You know, I'm, I'm going to try to quote Mayor Durrett. <laughs> this is a dangerous territory. Can you I mean. quote him like Mayor Durrett would say it? No, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna embarrass myself. <laughs> but you know, you know, we're 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 talking about Doug and his career. But you know, Mayor Durrett is one of the first to stand up anywhere at Fort Campbell or in public and say we live amongst heroes. Right. It's not necessarily, you know, you know, not just the ones that win the big awards, but there are so many. There are thousands in our community. That, that don't get the recognition and we don't get to talk to that are out there doing this every day. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I say I thank you, I say I thank everybody that's donned the uniform, whether, you know, regardless of what service it's in, because I'm not, not doing it, but I get to enjoy the freedoms that you guys give us. Well said, Charlie. 
Well, can I, if I could add to that too, you know, I was in a situation where I was working, I work with, uh, or used to work with SWAT quite a bit and we'd be in uniform. Uh, I actually flew in the back of my son's helicopter when he was on the, uh, doing stuff because he flies helicopters in the Kentucky National Guard. And he, um, I got to be his passenger while he was flying and I was working with state troopers. And we went to a restaurant, we're in uniform and the state troopers are all in uniform. And people come up to us in uniform in the service to thank us for our service. It was so embarrassing because daily, to me, I think what we're thanking service members is for their courage and their commitment to this country and that they will lay their life down to preserve our liberty. Mm-hmm. But so do the police, the fire. Um, exactly. And sometimes more so. So I always make a point that those that are in uniform, uh, even if I get pulled over for doing one mile an hour to speed limit, I'll just leave it at that. They, um, <laughs> I actually thank them for what they're doing, even though I wasn't yeah. wrong. And mm-hmm. I try to be the, the, the model citizen, so I put them at ease. I couldn't imagine. I mean, that's a tough job. And then today, if they're gonna, if they pull somebody over who may or may not have the virus, yeah. That uh, so I, I just want to extend that. I, I well firsthand, said. Firsthand felt the, uh, I was, I was humbled that uh, we were honored and sitting right next to us were police officers that yeah. didn't get the same recognition. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you both, Rod. Well, Doug, I appreciate you taking time to meet with Charlie and I. I am, I love your story. I'm honored to hear it. And when he sent me the email today saying we were going to meet with you, I couldn't wait to hear it firsthand. So yeah. thank you for sharing it. Yeah. And and I have one last question. You know, we don't get real political on this, on this show at all, but you know, I know Doug's got some aspirations and tell us kind of, kind of what you're, you know, we know you're a flight instructor now, retired, and now you're a flight instructor. But what else are you are you getting into? Well, uh, as a flight instructor, so I I'm under a defense contract for foreign military sales. So the British military, the British Air Force, Royal Air Force, are purchasing our style of uh, aircraft, our helicopters, and so I have the honor to train them, the training plans, the culture to bring us together. So. So we have similar capability. So when you see British officers or you start hearing around town, that's kind of the reason why you're going to see us either teaching them here or in the UK. So it's, I hate to say, but is it a job? I guess it is. It's because it's more fun than it is a job. But um, so that's what I, that's what I'm doing now. Basically two days after I retired. Um, But what inspired me to retire, I would still be in the service today working in the Pentagon. But uh, we do have a congressman in our area that we work together and have known each other for a few decades now and inspired me to carry what I've learned just from organization and leadership, communication and truly serving people that he asked if uh, would I be interested in local politics? So the answer is yes. So I am I am going to run. I am running and I'm on the ballot uh, for state Senate for our district. And so I'm. I'm excited to kind of bring forward what I have learned from the military, but not just at, as being a private, which probably learned more as a private because I had to learn how to follow directions. <laughs> and then you realize that to lead, you had to have been led. 
and understand now the intricacies of of our political environment and our government. And I truly, I believe in our government. I really do, and I believe in how we're structured. Uh, we just need to, we just need to remember. It's just a different way to serve, which is something you've always done. It, it is, it's it's selfless. You know? And mm -hmm. it's and it's my family too. They're jumping on board as well. Well, thank you for joining us today. And um, I wish you lots of luck. Well, I, uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. And and when uh, when short stories or a, if a book is coming out or another, I'll, I'll definitely let you know and share it with you. Please do. Subscribe to Clarksville's Conversation wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single conversation.